Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 17 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your fabulous co-hosts. So today we are joined by our lovely guest, Jing Chu our Director of Technical Planning Services and an Associate Vice President at Modern Mobility Partners. And she's going to be showcasing her expertise and demonstrating user and non-user benefits of transportation projects, which you'll get to hear all about today. So welcome, Jing. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're very excited. So today we're going to go through five other ways of demonstrating the user and non-user benefits of investing in transportation. So we have your traditional ways that we talked about before in episode 10 during season two, and we'll mention those a little bit here, but we're really going to focus on some other non-traditional ways or ways that aren't captured for every type of project that we want to get into more detail. So, you know, you always have your tried and true standard benefits, but these we're going to go into to more detail. So as I mentioned, we'll build off of episode 10, where we talked about how to conduct a benefit cost analysis, specifically for discretionary grant applications uh, for transportation projects. And then this episode, we're going to go through additional economic and quality of life benefits for transportation projects. You know, how often do you hear as transportation planners, how often do we hear from elected officials, well, what's the benefit of this project? Or are we accounting for all the benefits of the project? All the time. What's the return on investment? What's the ROI? Yeah. yeah. That's and what it's we a hear. valid question. Sure. Yeah, it's a valid question. People, I don't think people realize, I have this conversation with my family all the time. People do not realize how much transportation projects cost to build, like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like these days with the cost of concrete, a sidewalk is like a million dollars a mile or something. It's insane. So people don't, realize how much it costs. So we do have to make sure that we're being good stewards of the public funds and making sure that we do have a good return on investment. So this comes up all the time. Yeah. It's very important. Or, you know, in a in a public meeting, how many people are concerned yeah. about the transportation project costing too much? And well, we yeah. don't we don't we don't need that project. This project's more important. And, you know, that's that's their opinion and and their they're, you know, have a right to it. But I think it's really important for us as transportation planners to demonstrate all of those user and non-user benefits. So I'm really excited about today's episode. And uh, yeah. I think Jinx going to bring a lot of really great information. Yeah. Yeah. And and one other thing I would add to your point, Kirsten, is that is not only demonstrating the benefits of individual projects, but also comparing against different projects because there's not enough money ever to fund them all. So it helps in prioritizing them as well. So so I'm going to give you a little bit of background and then we're going to or more background, I guess. And then we're going to go into the to the nitty gritty details. You know, I mentioned in episode 10, we discussed the economic benefits of transportation projects and how to do a benefit cost analysis or an economic impact analysis. And, you know, the economic benefits of transportation projects often help decision makers with prioritizing projects like we just talked about, allocating funding to or evaluating the project's financial feasibility 
And for the benefits that we are considering during the process, we often see that the benefits of direct users are counted, such as travel time savings or crashes avoided as it relates to safety, emissions or pollution reduced, and so on. But besides those, there are other types of benefits that we feel sometimes get overlooked and should also be considered. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we often hear all these different terms, and we've already been throwing them around. User benefits, non-user benefits, direct benefits, indirect benefits. So what do we mean by these and how do we evaluate them? So, Jing, before we get into to how to evaluate them, first, let's, if you could help give us an understanding of the meaning of these terms that, that we've been throwing around. Yeah, I agree with Kelly that uh, before we discuss the benefits of a transportation projects, so we do want to be clear about what are these terms mean. And as they, um, they are sometimes used in the interchangeably when perhaps they should not be there like that. So um, we heard user benefits and non-user benefits. This is a pretty straightforward, you know, users are the transportation facility users like drivers, passengers, pedestrians, bus riders, and so on. And they are the ones experiencing improved efficiency, like uh, improved the traffic operations at an intersection. And they enjoy the travel time reliability, like uh, projects of uh, managed lanes, bus rapid transit, or rail transit. Um, and also enjoy, enjoy the increased convenience, like the new road connection or high-speed rail. Also, uh, they have greater satisfaction of the facilities by compared to facilities, shelters, or seats at a bus station, like those uh, kind of uh, improvements. And the non-user benefits, um, as stated by its name, are the positive impacts that are enjoyed by the people that may not directly use the transportation improvement, like um, air quality or noise reduction due to the congestion relief which many benefit analysis like the BCA, we call it, included emission benefits or pollutant reduction benefits. And some of the increased property values, and I remember Kirsten helped our client who were um, applying for a grant project for a trail project, which uh, with the assessment of increased property values along the trail. In the community enhancement, uh, like the speed calming techniques within the residential or recreational areas, or ecosystem protection, like a tunnel projects that are protects wildlife trying to cross the road. We also heard the direct and indirect benefits, which uh, kind of correspond to the user and non-user benefit. As direct users enjoy the direct benefits and the non-users receive indirect benefits. Yeah, so just kind of going back on a couple of uh, points that Jing made was on the property value example. So this was a benefit that we calculated from the construction of a trail project and its impact on the surrounding property values and home resale values. So that was that was seen as as a positive benefit. I know we've talked about in previous episodes that sometimes uh, that can be that can that can cause other issues um, like displacement and some of those unintended consequences. And so we discussed that, you know, as a part of the as, as a part of the grant application. But yeah, property values, you know, increasing people's home values and resale values and increasing the equity they have in the property that they own. 
um, is is a real benefit. So going back to one of Jing's points that she made about increased property values, we did include this benefit in a grant application. So essentially, you know, what kind of impact is the trail project going to have on the surrounding property values? Um, and while in previous episodes, we've talked about unintended consequences and trying to mitigate for those. And that is that is a real thing, especially when you have trail projects. Um that come in and kind of revitalize areas. But there's also the benefit of those increased property values, the equity that people have in their homes and the resale value of those properties. So it was it was one that we included and, um, you know, received some some high regards uh, in the analysis. So, Jing, let's get to the meat of the episode. You've put together a list of five additional transportation benefits above and beyond your traditional safety, travel time savings, operating cost savings, and emission benefits that you're going to walk us through at a high level today. So why don't you go ahead and get started? Yep. So these are um, the five additional benefits that can be included in your benefit cost analysis beyond your standard safety, travel time, or operational savings or emission benefits that are usually typically can be calculated. So the first one is, uh, Kirsten mentioned, the increased property values. This applies to transportation projects that are aiming to improve the accessibility, like the new upgraded routes, safety improvements, or public transit system that make it easier for people to get their destination faster or um, easier. And the second one is improve infrastructure to attract the property buyers, like sometimes bike lanes, sidewalks, or green spaces. And then the third one is reduce the travel time projects, like the roadway expansion, new transit lines. And then the last one could be, you know, the enhanced economic activities uh, projects, like the new transit station. Uh, multimodal hubs or new intersections have multimodal components in. If you are working on an assessing benefits for these projects, you might want to include the property values increase in the benefit package. And then there are a lot of other research or resources that can tell you how they are doing property values or land values increase uh, assessment due to a transportation projects. Some of the ones we will be sure to include in our show notes are from the American Public Transportation Association and the National Association of Realtors, uh, just to name a few. Be sure to check back our show notes. So in our show note, one of the report, they did a research in seven regions in America in 2019-ish. And then um, they show that the median sales price for residential property near a public transit stations are 4 to 24% higher than those are not close to the public transit. The median sales price for office properties is 5 to 42% higher than those are far away from the public transit system. These are some kind of a data point that you can use for um, your project when you are assessing similar um, impact. So the second biggest impact uh, we sometimes want to look is the business or commerce growth. Adequate transportation infrastructure can help boost the growth in business or commerce. The transportation projects that usually have larger impacts are highway expansion, commercial vehicle lanes or facilities, 
which are the lanes or roads specifically for truck travel and also multimodal connections like rail or waterway connections to roadways like the ports or um, inland ports where the cargo is moved between rail and the trucks. Um, so all these kind of ex, uh, transportation projects can bring industrial changes or industrial development in a different way than um, when the project was not there. So to me, this is uh, similar to land value or property value increase, but is um, a little more big different is because the newer business or commercial gross production can be considered in your benefit assessment. Although we know that it, it could take a long time before the growth is realized, but there are also some uncertainties when it comes to some economic factors. So there are a few economic impact analysis tools or models can be used to assess the business growth or their gross production value. Most of them require several data inputs like travel times or distance changes, project construction costs, capital costs, maintenance costs, or uh, demographics of the project area, and so on. So those models use economic uh, uh, algorithms to calculate the potential employment growth and the gross production values for the region or even a broader uh, region at uh, either state level or county le- country level. Yeah. So, um, you know, we should also mention that your state DOT or Economic Development Agency may have already obtained some of these tools or models um, or even the data. So before you go trying to reinvent the wheel or come up with your own methodology, you may want to check with them to see what they already have that might be available for you to use. And that may make your calculations a little bit easier. I also wanted to go back to something you were talking about, Jing, just about the potential for economic growth. Um, you know, I think freight is a very hot topic still. Um, and ensuring that commerce moves around and the economy continues to grow. And, you know, I think travel time and shorter distances um, or difference in distances to potential sites is a really good method for calculating those benefits. I know on a on a project that we worked on, we wanted to understand um, the travel time between the port of Savannah and all of these properties kind of in southeast Georgia that had the potential for industrial or warehousing development. And so we were able to demonstrate with travel time savings um, based on some recommended improvements, how the travel times decreased to those sites, uh, which make them really attractive for developers. So definitely that's that's a good way to demonstrate those benefits. Yeah. And and one other thing I would just add and kind of ties back into one of the metrics that Jing mentioned earlier is about travel time reliability and how important that is to the freight industry and and truckers. Um, They can handle congestion. What what the problem is, is if they don't know how long it's going to take to get from point A to B. And so they have to build in a lot more time to get there. Um, just in case. And, and that's what ends up costing them more time and money. Uh, so anytime that we can demonstrate improved travel time reliability, 
uh, that benefit that benefits not only you know those of us driving our cars on the road, but also the the truckers and those in the the freight industry as well. So that's always a very important benefit to to calculate. And I know that's more one of the traditional ones, but it's worth mentioning. Yep. So um, back to along with the increased property values or business commerce growth, I want I do want to mention the third one. I want to uh, introduce briefly here is the job created or we call employment growth. Usually, a larger transportation projects or program um, like the current ongoing major mobility investment program that the Georgia DOT is making huge investment along the major interstates and highway system in Georgia right now. And they, uh, when they calculate the benefit or mention the benefit of this program, they usually consider the short-term construction jobs or long-term job creation by the new business or investment potentially. It is estimated by the Council of Economic Advisors that for every $1 billion in federal highway or transit investment, 13,000 jobs would be supported in one year. Um, several economic analysis models can also estimate the job created by the transportation projects or investment. Yeah, and another stat out there, because there's several out there um, for different types of projects, but one that the American Public Transportation Association, or APTA, has put out is that transit projects often have a five-to-one return on investment. So for every dollar you spend on the project in transit, um, you can expect a $5 return. And, you know, that that pretty much jives with what we've seen here in Atlanta. We've had a lot of major employers move here under the condition that they are near a MARTA transit station. And that's primarily for two reasons. One is they can capture a larger workforce as more qualified employees can get to them. And two, that, you know, we have a growing, larger, younger workforce and they don't want to have to rely on a car to get to work. And that's certainly the case in our office. You know, as we continue to expand our office space, we've been looking at new space. You know, we, all of us here on the podcast have been going around looking at new spaces. And one of the very or the very first requirement that is a fatal flaw is that the space has to be within walking distance of a MARTA transit station. If it's not, we don't even bother looking at it. So, Kelly, do you remember like back in the day, gosh, it was almost a decade ago when we were working on big, high profile study on demonstrating economic benefits of investing in transportation? Maybe it was 2014. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, as you were saying that, I started getting chili bumps, but in a good way <laughs> on my arms. So, you know, how could I not? That was, you know, where we not only calculate the benefits of investing in, in transportation, but we socialized it. And this is for the, the entire state of Georgia, but we socialized it with elected officials in the state house and Senate and had to present the findings to them, which they ended up incorporating into House Bill 170, which became known as the Transportation Funding Act of 2015, which was the largest transportation infrastructure funding increase in Georgia's history. Yeah. So getting back to our very first point of how many times do you hear elected officials talk about, yeah, well, what's the return on investment? And that's that's exactly what we tried to demonstrate with that report. Um, so, you know, I think one of the takeaways here as, you know, Jane continues to go through these additional benefits being able to document all of this in a way that's easy to understand, easy to digest, 
Um, and then working with, you know, your elected leaders or your leadership to try to get the information out to a broad audience to educate, uh, create conversation. And, and that's the approach that we took with, with that report back in 2014. And, and now we have, you know, an additional billion dollars or so per year uh, based on mm-hmm. that legislation. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. And, and that led to, you know, Georgia's major mobility investment program and just which is improvements along the interstates and everything. And it's uh, just amazing. So it's, it was a real game changer. All right. Back to you, Jing. Yeah. So um, there's one one component along with the business growth um, I want to mention is the tourism increase. Um, usually, if you are evaluating a project that is serving more tourism purpose, like a bridge to a beach or a trail to a famous site, transit routes or stations near a, um, you know, downtown or historic sites. Those kind of a projects, it's, it's, um, you wanna, you wanna do mention that you have the tourism increase benefit. It is, uh, uh, hard to obtain the actual dollar amount of tourism industry. And, but for, for, for those kind of, uh, projects, I, I, I've seen they including the tourism benefits with a qualitative assessment more often than a quantitative, you know, the a monetary calculation. Yeah. And, and I feel like this one kind of gets forgotten sometimes. And it's, I mean, frankly, it's kind of easy to do because it is more qualitative and, and not so much quantitative. And when you live in an area, you're not always thinking about tourism per se, right? But it it is a positive impact on tourism often. And, and it does tie in nicely to the 10 planning factors which are required by the federal regs, which includes promoting tourism. So even if it's qualitative, if we can talk about the the positive benefits for tourism, that's always good as well. All right. I think we have enough about economic benefits. Let's uh, talk about the quality of life benefits, which is also a very broad topic. But in general, um, we can categorize the quality of life benefits into three groups. Increased accessibility. And the second one is a promotion of a active life cycle and then the environmental benefits. So the first one I mentioned, accessibility increase. I want to share a little bit of my personal background. When I grew up in a city in China, there was a lot of pedestrian bridges and the tunnels crossing the restricted city roads. Some of the bridges have the stairs for folks to access from the ground and some have the sloped ramps for bicycles or electric uh, electric cycles. I've seen similar pedestrian bridges having been built here in U.S. too. In 2019, there was a bridge built near the uh, Atlanta Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is connecting a modern rail station for transit passengers to get to the stadium faster and safer. So I'm happy, really happy to see more of this kind of a passenger facilities that are promoting the transportation modes and improving the accessibility. And that's the one of the quality life benefits you want to enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, Jing, just to just to chime in on that. So there was some controversy over that bridge and the cost of the bridge, but um, it really provided a safety benefit for pedestrians who who before that bridge were just crossing. Uh, a pretty major road. It's it's four lanes with a center median, a lot of 
traffic, especially after events with vehicles coming out of the parking lots that that line there. And I'm I'm happy to say that GDOT is doing even more improvements over in that area and putting up fencing along the along the sidewalks to um, really encourage pedestrians to take take the bridge. So we are definitely seeing a lot more safety projects for pedestrians, especially for road crossings across Metro Atlanta. So I agree. I think it's really encouraging. Yep. So while that project is promoting accessibility and it can also provide active lifestyle promotion, in general, those multimodal transportation projects like the bike and pad facility, transit centers or hubs can can um, uh, provide those benefits that you don't want to ignore. So um, for some of the projects, we actually help our clients um, calculating the value of benefits that, you know, new recreationists enjoyed due to the projects. Uh, the methodology was accepted pretty well during our uh, grant application for a trail projects. And one of the trail projects actually got uh, awarded a grant uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And Jing, I was just going to chime in on that one. So um, there's a lot of great research that's already been completed through NCHRP that you can use as some resources. Um, and we can put those in the show notes. Uh, but also the USDRT benefit cost analysis guidance um, has included more trail benefit guidance uh, within that document. And I, and I do believe um, the active transportation or active lifestyle um, is one of those that they that they've hit on. And and for those of you that may not know what NCHRP is, that's the National Cooperative Highway Research Program. Oh yes, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to spell out our acronyms because we use lots of acronyms in planning. All right, so let's come to the the third big component of the quality of life benefits, which is the environmental benefits. I know um, some transportation environmental planners are often asked to prove that the transportation projects do not create negative impacts to our environment when they are in a project permitting process. Maybe you have heard like a environmental impact analysis of transportation projects or NEPA documents. This is a different topic, but many techniques or methodology from these environmental assessment actually can be used for evaluating the environmental benefits if the projects are providing those. So for air quality benefits, uh, there are emission models from the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and the model actually called MOVES, uh, which is the Motor Vehicle Emission Simulator model that can model either regional level or project level emissions due to the mobile source for air pollutants, greenhouse gas, or air toxics. So the methodology could be if you have a build or no build scenarios, you run the models to compare the emission reductions, and then you can you can uh, calculate or evaluate the, the changes due to the projects. For the noise, uh, the Federal Highway Administration has the traffic noise model. It's a you, you sometimes may heard TNM for uh, planners or engineers to use for transportation projects on the noise uh, impact. So they 
these two agencies, EPA or um, the FHWA's TNM model group, they all provide free training opportunities if you are interested in learning or using this this kind of tools. And beyond air and the noise, there are water, soil, or geology resources and uh, the, um, historic resources that you may want to consider if the transportation projects will help to protect or prevent impacts. Uh, projects like the wildlife crossings, alternative fueling or electronic vehicle charging infrastructure, um, and it, sometimes the smart and the sustainable street design can all help to protect the environment. Yeah, and uh, we actually worked, we keep re- referring to a trail project, a trail project. Um, they're all the same trail project. <laughs> um, but we we did work on, on the trail project and it was... Um, it was a pretty novel idea at the time. It's before USDOT provided more guidance on this, but uh, we did consider the benefits of planting trees along the trail. And um, our planners were actually able to calculate the greenhouse gas reduction benefits of planting those trees, which, again, received high regards from the reviewers of the analysis. And so that's that's kind of a newer kind of creative way to to calculate some of those emission benefits. Do you think that they included it in the new guidance because of us? I don't know. <laughs> I'm hoping so. <laughs> I really don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I, not. I don't know. I mean, we, we we'll just tell ourselves they did. I mean, we we found some research that had been done on it, and um, so my my guess is we were not the only ones, since every year they get about. Oh, I don't know, three to four hundred applications to review. <laughs> um, Good point. Good point. But, Minor detail, Kirsten. <laughs> but but for the purposes of our listeners, yes, we did come up with it, and um, we're going to take all the credit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we talk about trails and the trees a lot. Uh, um, on on another uh, interesting projects, I was when I was doing the research, I found that there was one initiative in Wisconsin. That, uh, it's very interesting that it is not a transportation construction project, but it's a practice that the Wisconsin Department of Transportation is conducting. So in the winter, um, the DOT used to, to put a lot of salt on the road or on the highways to prevent icing. So the excessive salt can be carried into the watershed or, um, you know, the water streams along the way. And then, then they impact the water quality, the fish and the wildlife along the watershed. So, um, identifying those issues, they started to use brain, a solution of a rock salt in water as, as alternative to the salt, regular salt. Actually, um, together with their optimized snowplow routes by GIS technologies, so they can get the benefits of protecting their water resources due to this practice. You know, that's a that's a good point, Jing. That we're not always calculating the benefits of individual projects, but also of programs or initiatives. So where you're investing your money. Back to that, you know, what's the return on investment, right? And 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 what's the benefit? And it's interesting because as you were talking that kind of I had an aha moment, you know, when last week I was on vacation in New Mexico and I was coming from the airport in the Uber and um, the driver had just coincidentally pointed out that they use red dirt in New Mexico to de-ice. They don't use salt. 
And um, he said, as a result, it, it's better on their cars. They don't have all the damage underneath the cars like, you know, other northern states have with, who use a lot of salt. And so the aha moment was that we rented this four bedroom house. My mom rented a house for the week and all of us kids were kind of coming and going. And we found out after she got out there that even though it's a four bedroom house, there was an extra charge, like a big extra charge, if it was more than six people in the house. I would have thought at least eight would be allowed, but no, six. So we had to start staying at separate hotels. That's a whole nother long story because we, the, neighbor, the, the owners were nearby, so we couldn't sneak in. But anyway, so <laughs> all that to say, you know, it, the reason I was asking my mom, why is it? And it's because the water costs so expensive out there because of the shortage. And so the aha moment was, oh, well, this tracks that they're using the red dirt instead of the excessive salt to avoid contaminating the water quality. And so it all kind of goes back to how, you know, it's not just these individual projects, but these different programs that can benefit things such as the environment. And you want to make sure that you're capturing these benefits when you're looking at the the uh, return on investment. So that's yep. my little sidebar. Yep. <laughs> Take <laughs> it for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Um. Another environmental benefit is beyond the physical environment. Um. It's the social and the cultural benefits that transportation projects involved with improvements within a historical districts or communities with a cultural or social significance. So, um, you can, so those kind of uh, transportation projects or practice can be context sensitive street or transportation facilities design, community engagement, safety mitigation, or improved access to the social cultural sites. And those all kinds of projects can help improve the social and cultural benefits that you don't want to ignore. Um, for that, I want to wrap up. So I know through the project the permitting process, many projects would go through the process of, of assessing environmental impacts required by the government process. It would also be a game if the benefits can be realized during the same process or even better, during the project planning, the environmental benefits can be considered as one of the project goals to guide the project development. And that is what uh, we as a planner would like to promote. Beyond that, um, I do want to mention another big component is um, we uh, have several episodes that help the planners to include equity in project planning process. Like episode four, we have planning for anti-displacement. In episode five, in season two, we have uh, addressing equity in safety planning and engineering. And we're also going to have more episodes in season three talking about providing safe, affordable, or reliable transportation options for everyone, regardless of their income, race, or geographic location. I want to mention that if a transportation project having the benefits we discussed earlier, like the safety, accessibility, environmental, or economic, you want to see if these benefits are also achieved within the underserved communities or a significant amount of benefit are from these communities. You want to bring this up to the decision makers or public attention to obtain more support. Conversely, you want to make sure that all the benefits aren't just happening from everyone, but historically underserved communities. Yeah, 
And, you know, one thing I just want to add is that we like to thread equity throughout the entire transportation planning process, everything from project identification to evaluation to prioritization and ultimately to calculating the benefits. So, for example, in the Chattanooga region, where we're leading the 2050 Regional Transportation Plan, our client had actually already identified equity emphasis areas highlighting historically underserved communities. We then took those underserved communities or equity emphasis areas, and in pretty much everything we did, we overlaid or underlaid them in all of our different analyses and and funding and all that stuff to ensure that we were putting our money where our mouth is. So a lot of these multimodal projects, like those for transit, bikes, and pedestrians, are even more important in lower-income communities as they may not have access to a car. And so the only way they have to get to work is to take the bus, the train, or walk or ride a bike or some combination thereof. So the economic benefits to these communities is even more important as they provide access to jobs. So these infrastructure projects can be a real game changer for some people. Back to you, Jing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there are many other aspects of the quality of life that uh, we actually cannot cover today. And the quality of life is a very broad concept uh, that is different for different people. While we consider a financial return on transportation investments, we calculate the economic values of the projects. We also know that the quality of life benefits are often just as important, if not more so than the economic benefits. We have seen more and more projects are improving people's quality of life while helping economic growth at the same time. So AASHTO, which is American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, issued the Benefit of Transportation Report in 2021. I think they have the previous report in the previous years as well. This report actually presents success stories about State DOT's transportation projects that provide many economic and quality of life benefits. I found that the story of Wisconsin DOT uh, using a different sort solution is, uh, in, in the winter is from this report originally. I think this report is a very good resource for us to use as examples, or they can be, you know, good ideas for us when we are doing our project evaluation to capture all the benefits for your projects. And proactively, you can seek more robust project planning techniques to achieve many types of benefits. Awesome. Well, Jing, you did a great job. Thank you so much for joining us and talking about the benefits. (laughs) You know, kind of as we were going through this episode, I was thinking about, okay, what's the implication to planners? How can we use this information above and beyond when we're doing a grant? application. And I think there's a lot of really good information in here that we can apply to all of our studies, Um, whether they're long range comprehensive plans, a corridor study, you know, a sub area study, whatever the case may be. And I think the way that we can think about it is thinking about the different project recommendations, or maybe there's program recommendations or policy recommendations, but thinking Mm -hmm. about what are some aspects of that project program policy that will increase these benefits. So thinking through, um, let's say we've got a sidewalk or a trail project that we're recommending. What are some components that we should add to it that might make Mm -hmm. it more beneficial for users and non-users? So 
as a part of the recommendation for the trail, you want to make sure that you're planting some additional trees to get some additional emission benefits. Yeah. You want to make sure that it's, you know, maybe connecting to something or that it includes that safe pedestrian like bridge connection or, you know, just just thinking through if you were to do this above and beyond just putting some concrete or asphalt on the ground for this project, how can you increase those benefits? And I, th- I think that's something that I take away from this that we can start, yeah. you know, applying to our projects and our plans. Yeah, that that's a really good point, Kirsten. I, I kind of, you know, I'm visual. So in my head, as you were talking, I'm thinking of this like life cycle of a of project development where you identify a project and but before you finalize the the scope or high level scope of that project, you think about the different benefits and they feed back into I'm envisioning this arrow going back into the development of the scope and kind of going through all these this different checklist of things of like, okay, well, if our vision and goals are this, can we add these different elements to in, improve the benefits? And uh, so that's a really good point. And, and that's something that we've often done in the past as it relates to project evaluation and prioritization as well is, you know, what, what, what kind of outcomes do we want? And then making sure that we've got metrics to evaluate those and, and those always tie nice and neatly or can tie nice and neatly to your benefit calculations as well. So good point. Yeah. So I don't know. I've been just kind of thinking about like which one of these excites me the most. And honestly, I, th- I think, you know, thinking through the tourism piece a little bit more, mm-hmm. it is one that I think gets overlooked, especially when you're working in an area that isn't necessarily like tourism isn't necessarily driving their economy. You know, there's there's right. certain states, right. Florida, tourism, big deal. Right. Like yeah. it, they need to. Right. Right. They probably include tourism quite a bit. But, you know, something in Georgia, maybe not. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, everybody has every community right. has a tourism initiative. And so um, that's one that I'm excited to try to explore a little bit more. Yeah, whether it's successful or not, it's a whole nother story. But but infrastructure can impact that, right? So making sure you have adequate access to get to these things. So exactly, sure. Um, yeah, and I and I was actually thinking the same thing. The tourism one was kind of one of the more interesting ones to me that I hadn't put as much thought into as I probably should. And so that was you know kind of getting my juices flowing, thinking about some of our projects. And then the other one I would just mention. I don't know if it's say exciting, but I think is to me is a, a no brainer. Anytime you can calculate the job benefit, the number of jobs created, mm-hmm. like that's like music to any elected officials ears because that's what their constituency is interested in. Right. Yeah. Anytime we can calculate jobs created, it's going to be helpful as long as there's a good amount of jobs and it's not like it'll create two jobs, <laughs> you know, so yeah, and and this gets a little bit technical, but when you are thinking about job created, you do want to capture the short term, and for the long term jobs, you want to also provide a kind of a phased approach. You know, every five years, or you know, those kind yeah. of a little bit uh, uh, more thought about it. Yeah, and like direct versus indirect jobs, right. and yep. yeah, yep, yep. No, I agree. Um, that's where folks like you come in, Jing. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, we need we need the we need the smart smart planners to come in and figure out how do we how do we quantify these 
and um, yeah, yeah, you know, and have a methodology that can be that can be backed up and you know yes. hold hold its water with elected officials. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's got to yep. be defendable. It's got to yeah. be defendable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a part of my work life. Uh, me and my group uh, sometimes use those kind of economic models or mm-hmm. trans- travel demand models together to evaluate, you know, different scenarios or different future uh, years on, you know, um, how many transportation projects can increase the jobs or economic benefits other than the jobs. So, yeah. yeah. If you want to. Yep. If you if you are interested in what we're doing for those, you can go to our website to look at yeah. you know what our groups are doing in the past. Yes, and that website is modernmobilitypartners.com, dot <laughs> com. In case you weren't already aware. Well, I think with that we will wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in. If you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners, this episode is eligible for AICP continuing maintenance credits. Uh, You can find all of our podcasts, uh, all of which are eligible for AICP CM credits on the American Planning Association website at planning.org. Just do a search for Modern Mobility Partners as a provider and all of our episodes will come up. If you want to learn more about us as a firm and how Modern Mobility Partners can help, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe and even better, review our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. And with that, we are over and out. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.